Blog Talk Radio. Well, bless the Lord, everybody. Bless the Lord. You are now live with the Word on Wednesday. This is Pastor Winfred Burns, and we are having the time of our lives celebrating our emancipation. Isn't it good to be free? Isn't it good that we are no longer enslaved? Isn't it good? More than that, isn't it good to have your debt paid for you? But even better than that, isn't it wonderful to be a part of the family of God? Wow. To be adopted. To no longer be a slave, but to be a son or a daughter. And not only are you a son or a daughter of the Most High God, but he has given you his spirit. That's something. You are children of the promise. Now, tonight we continue, and I'm going to have to to bag up to go forward as usual, but tonight we continue in Galatians 4. Uh, When we left off last week, Paul was questioning them, asking them, do you want to go back into slavery and why? And remember one of the things that we talked about? We talked about you have fallen from grace. Now, instead of diving right into the passage, what I want to do is I want to set everything up by taking you over, not taking you over not to Galatians 4, but Genesis, and that, we're going to start because a lot of the, the allegory that he talks about tonight is centered in Genesis, and I know that some of you know the story, but we have others who don't know the Bible as well as others, and I like to make sure that we keep up. So for some of you, it's going to be review, but to still others of you, it's going to be uh, uh, some new information. So bear with me tonight because about the first 10 minutes or so, I'm going to be over in Genesis, and then we'll move forward. And we're just having a good time tonight because we're family. All of us are family. If you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, man, we can. And you know how it is when we can. When we can, we can take our shoes off. We We don't have to form our words as crisp. We won't have to be as formal as we normally are because we're family. Hey, Sharon, how you doing? So, with that said, let's have a word of prayer, and then we're going to go right into tonight's lesson, okay? Eternal God, our Father, it's in Jesus' name that we come to say thank you. God, thank you for family. God, thank you for for not leaving us on the outside, but you brought us in. Tonight, we have to decide some things. We have to understand some things. We have to know some things, because... God, just like you set us free, there are those out there who are trying to draw us back into slavery, who are trying to keep us away from, from celebrating and, and being a part of and knowing our rights and, and knowing who you are to us, and instead trying to bring us back under the law. But, Father, for freedom you set us free. So teach us even more about our freedom. And teach us even more, more about the liberty that we have in you. 
We bless you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I want us to turn over to, and you'll understand what I'm doing in a few minutes. I want us to turn over to Genesis chapter, I think it's 16. I want to read read from there for you. And it, what it concerns is it concerns um, uh, Abraham and Sarah and the birth of Ishmael. And you'll understand everything after I put it together. I'm at Genesis chapter 16, verse 1. And setting the whole thing up. Now, Abraham has been promised by God that he was going to have a son. But now Abraham is 86 years old and no son, no baby, no nothing. He old. So here it is. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. I'm at Genesis chapter 16, verse 1. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Bad idea. All you fellas out there, Mm-mm. might try to propose something like that. You turn around, you look at that and say, nah, I think I'm going to wait on God. Abraham agreed to what Sarah said. Bad news. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarah, his wife, took her Egyptian maid servant Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar. And she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. And in this case, despise me, look down her nose, think that she better than, began to smell herself, began to walk around there like she owned something, like she was the real deal and all of that. She began to despise her mistress. Then Sarah said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. Come on now. This wasn't none of my idea. Girl, you was the one that told me to go do that. But now he responsible. Ain't that about a mess? You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my servant in your arms. Oh, uh, yeah. And now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your servant is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarah mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. Now, Sarah was mistreating Abraham, too, but he said, girl, you better go handle your business. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was a spring that is beside the road to shore. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarah, where have you come from, and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will so increase your descendants that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now a child, and you will have a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. 
He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. Now, I might have read a little bit more than I needed to there, but let's move over to Genesis chapter 21. He was 86. At 100, he has Ishmael. I mean, excuse me, he has um, Isaac. Now, and I'm doing all of this to lay a foundation for something, so just stay with me. Uh, Genesis chapter 21, verse 1. Now, the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said. Notice, now, we're, now before we were dealing with, hey, hey, Ma, before we were dealing with Sarah and Abram, now we're dealing with Abraham and Sarah. I wish I could get into it, but I can't. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the, the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. The child grew and was weaned, and on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar, the Egyptian, had borne to Abraham was mocking, and she said to Abraham, Get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to him, Do not be so distressed about the boy and your maidservant. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the maidservant into a nation also, because he is your offspring. Early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulder and then sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. Okay, that's as far as I want to go there. Um, the long and the short of it is God intervenes. They think they're going to die. God intervenes and continues to bless Ishmael as well as he blesses Isaac. Read the rest of that um, because I, I'm going to be pressed for time. But, again, this sets the backdrop for what is going to happen in uh, what he writes in Galatians chapter 4. So let's turn over to Galatians 4. So now you know the story uh, between Ishmael, Isaac, Sarah, Hagar, and Abraham. So now get over to Galatians chapter 4. And here, I'm going to go back to verse 12. 
Now, remember, we Paul is, is arguing against the law, that the law does not save you, that the law does not bring you into the promise of the Spirit, and that because by faith we receive Jesus Christ, God gives us his spirit of adoption. And remember we talked about adopt, being adopted into a family and how it changes our situation, it changes our name, it changes our circumstances, it changes our future because it gives us a future and an inheritance. And he says, you are no longer slaves, but you are now sons. And he continues the argument and he says that, um, do you wish to go back into slavery? Now, at verse 12, he starts out, he says, and this is Galatians 4.12 now, I plead with you, brothers, become like me, for I became like you. You have done me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. Even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. What has happened to your joy? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? What's happening here? Again, he regards them as brothers and goes back and he recounts the circumstances that he experienced when he first met them. And he starts this passage off by saying, become like me. Remember, now he says, in the previous chapter, he says, I fear you that somehow, I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. Now he's told them that he's that they're sons. He's told them that they're part of the body, and then he he shows the anguish of spirit that he is now experiencing because of the possible turning away from the gospel of Jesus Christ to turning to the law. And he says, "Become like me." What does that mean? It says, "Depend not upon the law, but." By the faith that by your faith in Jesus Christ, what I am dependent upon for my salvation is my faith in Jesus Christ, in the promise that He made, and it is only by depending upon Jesus and, and what and His finished work on the cross that you obtain the salvation that is now offered to you. You can't get it to the law. He says, become like me as I have become like you. He says, the same way that you got saved is the same way that I got saved. That's what he's saying in this passage right here. He says, you've done me no wrong. As a matter of fact, you had every reason to reject me when I came to you and the condition that I was in had I been you, had I been just any old body, had I not been sent from God, you would have rejected me because people did not welcome those who were infirm, those who were sick. That is, there's a number of things, a number of theories as to what he was, what he was going through. Some said he might have had dysentery or malaria. Uh, 
some kind of infectious disease. Others say there was something wrong with his eyes. There was, there's a number. We don't know. All we know is that when he got there, he was a sight to see that there was something wrong. And usually when you saw a sick person, you associated a sick person with some kind of a curse or something that they had did wrong to displease the gods. And remember, now these are Gentiles. These are Gentiles. And so when you were down on your quote-unquote luck or when you were suffering, you were suffering at the hands of the gods and didn't nobody want to be bothered with you because they didn't want the gods to be mad at them. But instead what he shows is that, but you didn't treat me like that. You didn't reject me. You welcomed me in and you cared for me. You cared for me. And, and we exchanged love for one another. And I preached to God, I, you know, even though I was sick, I was I, I preached. I had to preach. I was accomplishing my mission by spreading the love of God, and you received it. And we had joyous times. Now, where is that joy? He says, I can testify, but if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. And then he asked the question, have I become your enemy by telling you the truth, keep going. Those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so, so that you may be zealous for them. It is fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always, and not just when I am with you. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you and change my tone because I'm perplexed about you. What's he saying here? He says, look, the reason why those people are paying attention to you is because they want to win you to their point of view. They want to bring you away from Christ, away from the liberty, away from the freedom, out of the sonship, and they want to turn you into a slave to the law. And he says, but I ain't giving up on you. He says, he says, I'm going to continue to labor with you. Notice that, that he, keeps, he, keeps, he keeps showing the image of the togetherness that they have, that they are part of one another. He says, they're trying to separate us. They're trying to bring in disunity and division. Don't you know that that's what the devil always does? He goes in the families and he separates them. He goes in the church and he brings about contention and, and he separates them. His deal is to separate you, to divide you, so he can get you one by one. He's like a roaring lion. And what does a roaring lion do? A roaring lion makes a loud noise in the herd of antelope or the herd of sheep or whatever he's trying to get to cause them to scatter. And when he, when he gets in the scatter, then he chases down one of them. He can't take them all. 
So he call, he gets them to scatter, and once he gets them to scatter, then he can concentrate on that one and drag them down and kill him. That's what happens in our families. We get isolated. Next thing you know, we get in our bad habit, and then we're going to a funeral. What about at the church? We begin to divide into little cliques. We get, and then the clique divides. And the next thing you know, we're sitting up at home wondering what happened. Our faith beginning to be destroyed, cut off from the people of God, cutting ourselves off <coughs> from the presence of God because we don't pray like we should, because missing the fellowship that helps sustain us and connect us. And what happens? We die. Satan comes to what? To kill, to steal, and destroy. Let's keep going. Because this is what I this is what I worked on early on. It says, Tell me, I'm at verse twenty one. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. Who's the slave woman and who's the free woman? Remember what we read early on? The slave woman was Hagar, the servant of Sarah, who she gave to Abraham because the promise had not been fulfilled that was given to Abram concerning his son. And so she wanted to jump, make sure that he had something, to, to someone to pass on something to. And this was the custom, by the way. This was the custom in those times. So she wasn't doing anything that was unique. This is what they did. If, she, if, the, if the wife couldn't bear a child, then she would get one of her handmaidens to bear a child for. Okay? So that's Sarah. Now look. What is written, I'm at verse 22, it was written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born in the ordinary way, but his son by the free woman was born as the result of a promise. These things may be taken figuratively, for the women represent two covenants, one covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother, for it is written, be glad, O barren woman who bears no children. Break forth and cry aloud, you who have no labor pains, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born in the ordinary way persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It is the same now. But what does the Scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, 
for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. Look at the logic here that he, that he employs. First of all, he begins by saying, we are children of promise. We who believe in Jesus Christ participate in the promise that God gave to Abraham of inheritance. We who are born into the family of God by faith become sons by the promise given to us by Jesus Christ. And what is that, that promise? If any man come unto me, I will in no ways cast out. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thy heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Those are the promises of salvation to, the, to, to us who are born not after the flesh, but after the spirit. What did Jesus say to Nicodemus? He says, he says how can a man be born again? And Jesus says, how can a man be born by going into his mother's womb? And Jesus says, you must be born again. And the, the translation really is, you must be born from above. And when we accept Jesus, we are born from above because God gives us his spirit and brings life to us, the, the life, uh, gives us his life-sustaining spirit that enables us to come to him and be a part of his family. So we are children of the promise. And he, he goes on and he says, he says, there were two covenants. He says, one from Sinai. Now remember, God gives Abraham a covenant. And the covenant, and we covered off on this a couple weeks ago, the, the promise that he gives to Abraham is to make him a great nation. And then what did we say? And that one covenant, the covenant given at Sinai, did not nullify the promise. See, you see, he's, he's still arguing based on a premise, and the premise was that this covenant abides. We also said that those who are under the covenant given at Sinai are destined to destruction because they are under the law, whereas the ones who are under the covenant of Abraham who received his covenant by faith, the one who received the promise by faith, uh, are under the promise of God and become sons of God and inherit the blessings of Abraham. That's what he's arguing here. And he's saying, now which one do you want? Do you want to be enslaved or do you want to be a child of the promise? Tonight, you got to decide, are you a child of the promise or 
of your slave? Do, do you have an inheritance or will you inherit destruction? That's what this whole chapter is about. And he's begging them. He's begging them, look, leave the, put the law in the proper place. And that's, that's the final thing I want, I want to talk to you about. I got two minutes. I'll give you a big word. I'll give you a big word. Antinomianism. Antinomianism. And what that, that word describes is a doctrine that says the law has no place, no power, in the life of a Christian, either as instruction or guide. It can't teach you nothing. It can't guide you nowhere. That's antinomianism, and it is a false doctrine. And many in the church who say, I'm not under law, but I'm not uh, under grace, and basically ignore the laws of God, uh, or of God rather, uh, they're practicing a damnable doctrine. It's antinomianism, and it's spelled A-N-T-I-N-O-M-I-A-N, antinomian, okay? And then put the I-S in there. You had it, Sharon, you had it pretty much spelled right, Um just like it sounds, because I'm not a great speller. That's why I had to look at my notes. But this doctrine mis misplaces the law. It says it doesn't have anything to do with us. And we in the church, a lot of us practice it. And what did I say the purpose of the law was? The law is a guide. The law shows you what you're doing wrong. The law shows you how God wants us want us to act toward him and toward each other. So the law, is, and Paul would say, the law was our, it was our teacher, and it taught us that we couldn't do it without Christ and that we needed Christ because we, broke, we was always breaking the law. So to say that we don't have anything to do with the law is so wrong. So what do we want to come out of this thing with tonight? Number one, that we're that everything that we received, everything, is by faith, because of God's promise to us and God fulfilling His promise through Jesus Christ. Two, that the law is beneficial because the law teaches us. The law is a guide for us. The law tells us when we're messing up what we need to do, and when we're doing right. The law shows us the holiness of God. The law shows us the love of God. The law shows us how we should love him and love one another. That's why when Jesus was asked what's the greatest of the commandments, he says, love the Lord thy God, and then love thy neighbor as thyself. The law leads us into the love of God. And never have we seen this love showered forth so 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 with such passion as we see as Paul addresses the Galatians in chapter four. 
He says, oh, I'm so concerned with you. I ain't giving up on you. Christ is not fully formed in you, but I'm going to hang in there until you are fully birthed. That's something. That is something. Well, I've said a mouthful tonight, and uh, I messed up again because I didn't give the call-in number for um, for my Blog Talk Radio listeners, and that call-in number is nine two nine. Four seven seven two three zero four nine two nine four seven seven two three zero four, and then uh, as we pray tonight, as we pray tonight, I want you to, if you've got any questions, put your questions up, and I'll try to answer them as best possible, and then we'll call it a night, and we'll be in Galatians chapter five next week. Uh, so let's pray, Father. We thank you. We thank you that we're not only your children, but we are the children of the promise, that we have an inheritance. We know that Jesus said that in my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I wouldn't have told you. I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. We know we've got a home. We know that we've been born from above. We know that we now sit in heavenly places. We now that you we know that you bless us with every spiritual blessing. We know that the cattle on a thousand hills belong to you and that you will withhold no good thing from us that we are no longer slaves, but we're sons, and that everything you have belongs to us. We thank you for this. And we thank you so much, Father, that we now declare that everything belongs to you when it comes to us. We give our whole selves over to you. We present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable, which is our reasonable servant. So God, help us today, as even as we yield to you, to be your servants, even as we are your sons. We bless you for this teaching tonight. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so question. Mount Sinai is associated with Abraham. I thought it was Moses. Okay, he is teaching from an allegory. And basically what he is saying is that, um, first of all, he starts out by associating the women with Abraham. But if you look at uh, verse 24, it says, these things may be taken figuratively. Right there, yep, verse 24, that they may be taken figuratively and then what he does, Sharon, is he begins to not, not speak to Abraham, but instead he starts saying, comparing the two covenants and what the two covenants mean. The covenant that we talked about to, in, at Sinai was the law that was given to Moses. 
But the second covenant that he talks about was the covenant that he made with Abraham, that he would make him uh, a nation, and that through his seed that all nations would be blessed. So now what he's doing is he's comparing the two covenants. So he's not, and, and again, going down, he's saying that one of these covenants is the law. And what have we been contrasting uh, since uh, chapter 3? We've been contrasting the law versus the promise. The promise was the one that he gave to Abraham. The law was what he gave to Moses. And so, and one of the things that the Jews were famous for was saying, well, it ain't in Moses' law, so we ain't doing it. And what, uh, what Paul is doing is he's saying, yeah, but what about the promise? The law does not nullify the promise. You see where I'm at now? You see it? And so that's it. That's what he's saying in those verses. That's the comparison that he's making. And what he wants us to know and the conclusion that he reaches is that we're not under the law. We're under grace. But the law is still at work doing its job. And the job of the law in the life of a Christian is to point them toward their need in Christ as well as show them the things that are pleasing to God that we should be practicing. Hit. Amen? Any other questions? Any other questions from the blog talk game? Okay, well, that's it for tonight. I praise God for each of you. I hope you're having, I hope you're having fun in this series. Um, I hope I'm tying it together because it's so important that we maintain the whole as, by, as we break down the parts and we don't lose any of it. Because if we lose any of it, that's how we get out of context. And I'm really working hard to make sure that we see the whole picture. But okay, so that's it for tonight. I bless God for each and every one of you. Continue to pray for us as we go forward. This has been just a great week. Uh, I'm looking so much forward to next week, and I'm going to give you a sneak preview. But we'll wait till we get to Corinthians. Corinthians is going to be something else. I have been going through uh, and studying and making notes on and getting fed Corinthians. And the thing about it is, since I participate in the cooking, I get to taste stuff. I get the first taste, and ooh, we got marinating a blessing in that word. He is marinating a blessing in that word for us. We going to eat good over there. That is Christmas, Thanksgiving, and Fourth of July rolled up in one book. We're going to be fat and sassy that day. But, okay, so that's it. I'll see you next Wednesday night. Have a blessed, blessed day. Thank you.